You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Church, Father, we thank you that we can come before you for everything in our lives. And we know that you see everything and you are our caretaker and you are the great God who oversees everything that happens to us. And so this morning as we look into your word, we ask you, Father, to give us wisdom, illumination, and uh, grace to obey you. And now we give you this morning as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Second Corinthians, and let's, um, let's read the first 11 verses of chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, <laughs> and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves in order that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. So last week, we had our introduction, and we looked at uh, the timing of the letters, the different letters, the non-inspired letters that we don't have, and the inspired letters that we do have. We looked at uh, some of the corrections and information that Paul was trying to communicate to the Corinthians, and I, last week, I introdu- I, in the introduction, I mentioned that some scholars believe that 2 Corinthians is a compilation of more than one letter. There are, however, and I forgot to... I didn't do the other. A, B. This is B. This is the. This is important to remember. Um, there are, however, excellent indications that it is not a compilation of letters, but rather is one single letter. The early church fathers never indicated that Second Corinthians existed as two or more separate letters. There was never any concern about this particular idea until the 18th century. Uh, Commentator R.C.H. Lenski said this, he said, One fact in regard to 2 Corinthians must be strongly emphasized at the very beginning. All, literally all, textual evidence provides proves this letter a unit. No abbreviated text has ever been discovered that might raise a question on this score. And no text that showed an omission or omissions has ever been found. This fact alone stands as a bulwark against the hypotheses of our day. It is, in fact, not a compilation of letters. It's a single letter. And it was, it was put together by Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 
to continue correction of um, a wayward church, but the, a church that was coming around. And we're going to see that, some of his excitement as we go through this letter where he begins to be delighted about some of what's going on in Corinth. The, uh, the uh, wayward children were beginning to find their way back to God and or, or to God in the first place, as, it, as it, the case may be. Now, as we, we start through this first section, I want you to look at how many times the word comfort is used and the context that it's used in. Did you ever think about the fact that one of the reasons, and I know this is not going to be a warm fuzzy, but I'm not very well known for warm fuzzies, but some of the, some of the difficulties that we go through in our lives as Christians are so that we can comfort others when they go through difficult times. As we receive comfort, and this is what Paul's going to be talking about, as we receive comfort from the Lord in the dire straits we may be going through, when we come out the other end, we have been comforted by God. We have been cared for by the hand of Almighty God. And it is one of the main reasons for that is so that we can comfort others. And that's one of the things Paul's going to talk about. So let's begin to look at this letter now. Chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. There's a 2 in front there. Got me all messed up. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ, of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. I'm just going to double check and make sure that I got it right this time. Okay. Faithfully reminding the Corinthians and all of those in Achaia, Paul writes that he is an apostle and that his apostleship came at the will of Jesus Christ himself. He includes Timothy. Notice he includes him not as an apostle, but as a brother in Christ, a faithful man who is mentioned in 10 of the 13 letters Paul wrote and is in the introduction of six of them, a very important person in the formation and the building of the early church. He was a key player in the establishment of the churches and was even present during the establishment of the Corinthian church. In Acts chapter 18, we see that, verses 1 through 5. Luke writes this, After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth, that is Paul. He, and he found a Jew named Aquila, Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, then Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So Paul writes this letter to the troubled church at Corinth as well as to all who are throughout Achaia. As is the normal case, it was expected that these letters would be spread among the churches and read throughout the entire, um, the entire area where the church, was, the church of Jesus Christ was being spread. Now, here's an, old, here's an interesting one, and maybe some of you are aware of this. Some of you might not have been. It, was, it bears mentioning that Paul originally saw an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ chooses to use his Greek name rather than his Hebrew name. There is no warrant to the idea that the Lord Jesus changed his Saul to Paul. After his conversion, in fact, he is called Saul 11 more times. And the subtle change comes in Acts chapter 13. <laughs> so, now Paul and his companions, it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga, and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So in Acts chapter 13, he's still being referred to as Paul. This is long after his conversion. Remember, 
just prior to this, the Holy Spirit in verse 2 refers to him as Saul. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Excuse me, he's changed it. They changed it. While in verse 2 is where he's still being called Saul. We'll get this sorted out yet. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. It appears that for the purposes of the ministry to the Gentile world, he used and was referred to by his Greek name from this point on. It was, in fact, it was common in those days for people to be referred to by two names. Acts chapter 13, verse 9. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. Some others who went by two names were Joseph, later called Barnabas, in Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Simeon, also called Niger, in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. And Thomas, also called Didymus, or Ditto, in John chapter 21, verse 2. So it was not uncommon for people to go by two names. Some of the claims regarding this name change are interesting. In his commentary on 2 Corinthians, Philip Hughes wrote this. He said, Students of Paul's epistles have suggested various explanations as to why the apostle preferred to use his name Paul rather than Saul. Some say he did so to mark the spiritual conquest of Sergius Paulus in Acts chapter 13. Others claim he did so to show himself the least of the apostles, since Paul means little. See in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8, 1 Timothy 1.15. Another suggestion is, is that he was small in physical stature. Perhaps he did so because the Greek form of the Hebrew name Saul was an objectionable name because it was identical with an adjective that meant effeminate in, in Greek. He may have done so simply because it was customary for Roman citizens to bear a Roman name as well as the one that reflected their own nationality. For whatever reason, he was known as Saul up through early Acts chapter 13, and from that point on, he began, began known as Paul. And that, to me, seems appropriate for the, the single reason, if not others, that he was ministering to the Gentile world, and this was a Gentile name. I just found that interesting because I never even thought about it. I just... How many of you thought Jesus changed his name? Well, good for you. <laughs> Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is talking to believers, and so the grace is sustaining grace, not saving grace. And the peace is the peace of God, not peace with God. These believers already have saving grace. They already have sustaining peace. They already have peace with God. This is his standard greeting, and it does not flow from his pen simply as something that he just repeats robotically, but rather it is a heartfelt desire for those whom he loves to grow in grace and to experience the peace that only God can bring. This greeting also clearly implies the deity of Christ. Paul uses the term Lord, which is in the Septuagint used to translate the name Yahweh, Jehovah. The Greeks also use this term to denote deity. So early on, he, he clearly refers to the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now here's where he first mentions comfort. Three verses in. It is significant that Paul starts this epistle in this way. He calls down blessing on the Father, who is the giver of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most merciful given giving that was ever done in the history of the universe. It is also significant that he mentions comfort. He is about to embark on another letter to the recalcitrant Corinthians, and he will, they will be anything but comfortable. He's going to 
He's going to bark at them. He's going to be kind to them, and he's going to encourage, teach, and edify, instruct, and correct them. In this letter, he bears his soul about who he is. He touches on his frailties and some mistakes, as well as the blessings that God has bestowed upon him. Are you not glad? Well, let me not put it that way. It is instructive that God used and continues to use frail, fallible, sinful human beings to spread the church of God into the world and to comfort and to encourage and to correct others, to counsel. Um, and he doesn't cover up their mistakes, which is what, if someone other than the Holy Spirit was writing this book, it would be far more, Paul would be far more elegant, far more wonderful, far more sin-free, far more perfect. But God portrays men as they are. And so in, when Paul was writing this at the, at the instruction of the Holy Spirit, it comes through just who he is, just what he is, at the direction of the Holy Spirit. He touches on his frailties, mistakes, as well as the blessings that God has bestowed upon him. In all of those things, God has been merciful and has comforted him, and he is greatly blessed and awed by that and continues throughout his entire life to be just stunned by the fact that God would have chosen him, the chief, he says, of all sinners. The word blessed is from the Greek eulogetos, which occurs eight times in the New Testament, mostly in Paul's writings, and always refers to God. God is both the source of mercies and he is characterized by mercy. He is both the source of comfort and he is characterized by being comforting. These two things as much as any other characterize the God of the universe better than most. Harry Ironside said that in these two things, God has a monopoly. There are two things of which God is said to have the monopoly. He is the God of all grace and he is the God of all comfort. All grace comes from him. All lasting comfort comes from him. So that's why Paul would be so early on, bless God, remind them, remind the Corinthians, this is going to be some difficult going here, but God is the God of mercies and he is the God of all comfort. Any questions or comments about the introduction there? Okay. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our affliction that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Comfort is only needed when affliction is present. When things are sailing along fine, we don't need to be comforted. Sometimes we need to be slowed down. <laughs> to those who truly give themselves to Christ in the work of God, affliction will come. It will come. It's a promise. It may be as simple as jeering or unkindness or as severe as death. Paul went through all of these and everything in between. He eventually did end up giving his life for the cause of the gospel. So the comfort that he received from God was sweet and blessed. And in that comfort, he discovered, as God directed, the ability to comfort others. The comfort that God gave to him and gives to us is both for our relief, for our encouragement, for our blessing, and for us to pass on to others. Anyone can comfort someone. So don't, I don't want to, as we're talking about this, and I make some specifications about how comfort is done, remember that all of us have been given the ability by the grace of God to comfort one another, to take care of one another. So anyone can comfort someone, but comfort is far more effective when it is given, often more effective, I should say, when it is given by someone who has gone through what the affected person has gone through. You know they know what you're going through. You know that the comfort isn't just platitudes and band-aids. 
And you know when they weep with you that they're really weeping, that it hurt them and it hurts them to see you going through. This is the comfort that God gave to Paul. God, the Lord Jesus Christ, suffered everything that could have been suffered, it says in Hebrews. I wonder when we're ever going to get to that book. It says in Hebrews that he suffered as we do. He knows what it is to go through the things that it is to go through as a human on this planet. For certain, this is one of the reasons why the Lord let Paul experience so much difficulty. In bringing him through these difficulties, comforting him and blessing him through them, he gave Paul the ability to more deeply appreciate that comfort and give it freely to others. In chapter 12, verse 10, he allows that Paul says, he says, I'm, I'm content with weaknesses, with insults, with the stresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake, because he said, when I am weak, then I am strong. It is a remarkable seeming contra contradiction in Christianity, and I use that term carefully. It's not, I use the term contradiction carefully, that the best things come from us when we are weakest, and God is allowed to, and God ministers through us. God gives us the comfort and the strength we both, we need both for our own comforting and for strengthening for others. It is as if it is given in trust. And in his commentary, G. Campbell Morgan said this. He captured that on his commentary in 2 Corinthians. He said, That is the very genius of Christianity. Everything received is received on trust. Everything that you and I have from God, we have on behalf of others. The comfort of God, the strengthening of God, the upholding of God, the revelation that God is able to make alive from the dead, and then presently salvation from that death which he had feared, on which he had looked with so much trembling. Everything we have, God gives us in trust to share with others. We don't hoard it to ourselves. We don't make little piles of this treasure, but we, we, we bring it out through our lives and give it into the lives of others. Comforting, encouraging, strengthening, and being comforted, being encouraged, and being strengthened. It's always a two-way street. Any questions or comments? And it multiplies, yeah. It, it's an amazing thing. I, there's probably some math involved there. I don't know what level. It's what? It's new math, yeah. It's new math. It's, it's comfort core, not common core. Yeah. No, it's, it's a wonderful thing that the, the relationships that can be built in the body of Christ when we are able to, to encourage, bless, and comfort one another. Bethel. Yeah. Paul could, he, not to, to reduce it too much, but all of the writers, Bethel's pointed out, go through the same things we go through. They struggle the same way. They struggled the same way. They, um, Paul got up in the morning sometimes on the wrong side of the mat you know, and needed some, some coffee or something to get him going straight. He, he was a human being with foils, foible, foibles and frailties like we are. But on the flip side of that, the Holy Spirit is able, by God's grace, by His grace, to strengthen and encourage and build so that we become what we could never be, children of God who actually act like it. And uh, that's a wondrous thing, too. And Paul, as, as I said earlier, Paul never, that, the awe of that never left him. That he was saved and he was, in, he was put on this journey to build the church by God. Any, any other comments? Verse 5. For just as the sufferings are Christ of Christ are ours, <laughs> thank you very much, Lord Jesus, in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. 
The word abundant is a word that actually in this particular case means superabundant. Overabundance. An exceed an exceeding abundance. So both the sufferings of Christ, and we'll talk about what that means specifically, are ours in superabundance, as you might expect from the hand of a loving God, so also is the comfort. And the comfort is more more than necessary for the sufferings. God would never leave us uh, unable to be comforted beyond the difficulty. For Paul and truly all who will, for all who will follow Christ, the sufferings that come will be in a superabundance, for so that is the Greek word. But in the same manner, the comfort that comes for those whose sufferings is excessive is a superabundance as well. Only the Christian who is submissive to God's will in their lives can glory in difficulties, knowing that the comfort that they that will come from Christ will far exceed the difficulty. And although it may not seem wondrous at the time, that comfort becomes a blessing to others who can seek out the one they know who has suffered as they are suffering. Sometimes it is enough just to be together with someone who understands our pain. This is one of the difficult but elegant blessings that accompanies the life of suffering, the ability to strengthen others in their pain. Believe it or not, it is this kind of life, one that is filled both with suffering and the comfort that God brings in that suffering that is rich and full. Uh, Charles Hodge, in his commentary on 2 Corinthians, said this. He said, in this design, Paul acquiesced. He was willing to be thus afflicted in order to be the bearer of consolation to others. A life of ease is commonly stagnant. It is those who suffer much and to experience much of the comfort of the Holy Ghost who live much. Their life is rich in experience and in resources. It does bear mentioning, however, that one does not have to have suffered greatly, nor in the same way as a friend has suffered in order to comfort them. The love of Christ coming through the life of a believer can bring great comfort to someone who needs reassurance in difficult times. And the greatest comfort that can be brought comes through the Scriptures themselves. For there it is that God has placed the comfort that only He can bring. Our ability to bring the proper typical text to bear on someone's difficulty is of great import. It is also important to learn the skill of comforting. Some people are natural at it. Others, not so much. The primary component, however, is a God-given love for the person who is suffering. You love them. You care for them. You want what's best for them. It hurts you to see them going through the difficulty they're going through. The primary point of this verse is that no matter the sufferings that come in our lives, the comfort of Christ will always meet that challenge and exceed it. Be aware, however, that it is the sufferings of Christ that receive the comfort of Christ. If we are suffering because of righteous living, adherence to the Scriptures, and holiness, we receive the comfort, the comfort of Christ. But if we are suffering because of sin and judgment, comfort comes because of repentance and change by the grace of the Holy Spirit. So, it's the comfort, the sufferings of Christ are, are sufferings of righteousness. And those bring the comfort of Christ. Um, Peter Moore fully, ex Peter, <laughs> Peter Moore fully explains it in his epistle. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. That's, you know, so let's stop right there. That's a good frame of mind to be in. This is not some strange thing. God isn't, hasn't got sweat on his upper lip saying, how did this happen to him? 
I, I didn't see this coming. Not only did he see it, not see it coming, not only did he see it coming, he orchestrated it. Verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory, you may result, rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed but is to glorify God in this name. Glorify God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not that suffering is fun. I'm not trying to, to minimize it. All of us have been through terrible, difficult times, and you know what I'm talking about. But that when we come out the other end, did we glorify Christ in that suffering? That is, that is one of the most important things to remember. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. All of us will go through them. All of us have gone through them. And we also, it bears mentioning that we need to be on the lookout for one another. So those of you that are really good at spotting that kind of thing, help us that aren't be of some comfort to those who need comfort. Because everybody is walking through a minefield, it seems like, all their lives. Uh, now God knows where the mines are. So I know that sounds so... Awful, and I don't mean it that way. But the comfort that comes, the blessing that comes, can be shared among us, and it's a it is a true wondrous thing. And then Paul says this in verse six: "But if we were afflicted, why did it happen? It is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer." <laughs> it becomes apparent as we progress through this epistle that some in Corinth assume that because Paul was often afflicted, he must have been doing something wrong. Now, I'd like to say I haven't ever had that thought, that I'm so righteous that that never occurred to me. But there's too many people in here who know me really well, so I won't say that. Well, he made his bed. He's got to sleep in it. Oh, that's really comforting. That's really helpful. They had no concept, the Corinthians didn't, of the work, the danger, and the agonizing labor that Paul put in laying the foundations by God's grace for the churches, teaching them, praying for them, returning to encourage, to exhort and uphold them. And so it is that often the workers for Christ then and now are misunderstood, underappreciated, and often vilified. Paul, on the other hand, didn't focus on that, but rather explained to the Corinthians that the afflictions and difficulties that he went through made him better able to comfort them in their afflictions and difficulties. He turned it around said, look at these things that have happened to me. I can now be of better service to you. I can love you more practically by taking some of that load on myself. His ability to communicate that to them would be effective in helping them to endure the difficulties that would come their way. And difficulties came and would continue to come. It is the same today. And when we see others patiently endure trials and tribulations and give glory to God, it strengthens us to do the same. That is not to say that it isn't the Holy Spirit working grace into our lives, but this is one of the means by which I believe He works. As we see others enduring the things that God has brought into their lives and bring glory to Him, it strengthens us. Those are some of the things that strengthens us. God will use that to strengthen our lives 
so that we might. And it's, it's like a chain, a long chain stretching from the cross all the way through eternity until we go to be with the Lord where there will be no more tears. There will be no more affliction. There will be no more need for comfort. Can you imagine that? We will be comfortable in that, in the right way for eternity. There'll be no more difficulty, no more trials. But today, and I know there are probably even some in here that can say it, they're saying it to themselves even now. Sure didn't look that way. What a mess. Reach out. Reach out to those around you who love you. They're there to help you. And, and when they, when they stick their foot in your mouth accidentally, here's some comfort. Get back up and let them try to comfort you again. I know that can be hard. But sometimes it's just, a, it's a, it's a learning process. Learning how to comfort someone in their difficulties. Any com- comments? Questions? Verse 7. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are the sharers of our sufferings, so also you are the sharers, you are sharers of our comfort. Some in Corinthian, in Corinth were indeed sharing in the sufferings of Christ and in his, and in his comforts. Of this Paul was keenly aware, and he did not take it lightly that some of his beloved brethren at that church, in that church in Corinth, were suffering. They were struggling. But the hope of the gospel, is the knowing that those who have been chosen by God to be his children will persevere was of great comfort to Paul. They could all share that comfort together. Indeed, as we look at other Christians, one of the hallmarks of persevering, of a persevering elected believer is their willingness to share in the sufferings of Christ, to endure them in a manner that brings glory to God, and then turn around and comfort others who are struggling as well. See, biblical Christianity turns, turns the focus out from yourself. As you progress through the, cuff, the, the difficulty and as God works in your life, it turns the, the focus out from yourself and to others, to the needs of others. And so it is that those who have been most keenly afflicted are sometimes, are often, if not always, the best comforters. Always. There may be a time of struggle, of prayer, and settling and understanding that God is bringing change. But always, eventually and generally, sooner than later, believers who are struggling will look for ways to comfort others in their struggles. And that is a work of God, a work of the grace of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers because left to ourselves, we would either wallow in self-pity or strike out and try to hurt people. Even people that didn't do it. One time, um, that didn't do anything to us. One time I was a, I think I was 10 or 11, and a German shepherd got hit in a road. And I went out and I, it was awful. I mean, I'm not an animal guy, but I don't like animals to be hurt. I mean, even when I'm hunting, I, I want to dispatch them quick. I don't like to see animals suffer. Don't tell anybody, I'm supposed to be really tough. I went out and I tried to help that dog. I tried to pick it up and he bit me <laughs> like three times before I could even get, it, get away. I couldn't help him. Um, and I think that sometimes that's how we would be if it wasn't for the grace of the Holy Spirit. We would bite everything around us. Now, does that happen sometimes? I think it does. So those of us who have been called upon to comfort the, the German shepherd, back away, let them expend themselves and then move back in. I actually just went in and got my dad. <laughs> Let him get bit. I don't know what he did. He must have called animal control or something, but at any rate. That, that's always been a vivid picture in my mind of trying to help somebody who you didn't hurt, and they take it out on you. Just remember that sometimes when people are going through horrid times, 
That's, that's kind of what happens to them. And be ready to be, to be kind anyway. But Paul's hope was firmly grounded because he knew that the God who had saved them would continue his work in them. He would bring comfort. He would bring chain, change. He would bring correction. He would bring instruction, reproof, and change into their lives. And Paul could be confident that those believers in Corinth, even the ones that were suffering, the ones that were difficult, they would come around because the Holy Spirit was doing the work, not him. For we do not, in verse 8 he says, want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Now this is an interesting, often Paul makes reference to things in his letters that we just don't really know a lot about, that there's no... And, and, and in the last 2,000 years, people have really guessed until the guessing can't be done anymore. But the trial affliction that Paul refers to here is unknown, and there's much conjecture about it was. It happened in Asia. Some believe it maybe refers to fighting beasts in Ephesus or the uproar in Ephesus precipitated by Demetrius. I think it's likely if he was referring to Ephesus, he probably would have mentioned the city. But he just uses the general geographical term <coughs> Asia. It's a common human tendency to make big stories about the difficulties that one goes through. Thus, a stubbed toe becomes a wound endured from pushing someone out from in front of an oncoming train at night in a lightning storm. None of you have ever exaggerated? Well, good. I didn't realize I had a, a monopoly on that, but okay. Details are added. Etc. It's unfortunate that we do such things. An economy of words with the appropriate adjectives, such as the Holy Spirit directed Paul to do here, communicates everything that is necessary to communicate. And so Paul did not suffer with this problem under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for sure. Barclay makes reference to this tendency in his commentary. He says, there's a very human tendency to make the most of anything that we have to go through. Often a person who has undergone quite a simple operation will make it a subject of conversation for a long time to come. HLG tells of two men who met to transact some business in the days of war. <laughs> One was full of how the train in which he had traveled had been attacked from the air. He would not stop talking about the excitement, the danger, the narrow escape. The other in the end said quietly, well, let's get on with our business now. I'd like to get away fairly early because my house was demolished by a bomb last night. And so it is that there are those who use an economy of words. And that's what the Holy Spirit did here. He directed Paul to use an economy of words. So we don't really know what happened in Asia. But it's enough to know that Paul says this. He said, he said, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. They were, under, the, the Corinthians, I'm thinking, were aware of what it was referring to. It must have been terrible because of the particular Greek words he used. The Greek word for burdened excessively refers to something that crushed them to the ground and was unbelievably beyond human endurance. The Greek word transpired, translated despaired comes from the idea that there was no way out. They were crushed and there was no way out. I've never been in a situation like that. At least, here I am. And uh, I know there are some that have. They got to they got to the very end of their rope, and what did they say about that? Tie a knot and hang on. And apparently that's what Paul did. The Holy Spirit delivered him. We don't know what it is, but he wanted the Corinthians to know that the, the sufferings and the pains he went through were orchestrated by God in order to teach him what it was to have difficulties 
and in order to give him the compassion, the care, and the concern to be of comfort to others, especially those in Corinth. And what church of his, what church of his founding needed more comfort than Corinth? The ones who I think had, using the word monopoly three times today, had a monopoly four times on stupidity, on fouling things up, on doing it the wrong way. Here, here's the directions on how to build this. We don't need that. We're just gonna, you know. I know a few men in here have probably done that. I, or never asked for directions. So Paul was put through those, not because he was, he was, uh, acting and living wrongly, but because God orchestrated it in his life. For, he says, for the comfort of the Corinthians. He went through affliction so that they would know he understood affliction. And then he was comforted so that they would know that his comfort to them was real. And then finishing up today, indeed, he says in verse 9, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves. And there it is. There it is. But in God who raises the dead. Why do we often get sent through the storm? God owns the storm. It's not a storm to Him. Why are we put in affliction? God knows all the afflictions that we go through. Paul had been commissioned to preach the gospel to a hostile world. He had been sentenced, as it were, to death. And every day he survived was a blessing and a gift. He was driven to the extremity that he mentioned in verse 8 so that he might come out of it with no confidence in himself or others, but full confidence in God. He knew that no one gets out of this place alive and that the only way one is sustained is by the providential hand of God. More and more as Paul worked founding churches, writing scripture, encouraging and blessing others, working with his hands, he discovered again and again that it is God who wills to work his good pleasure and Paul's survival, indeed his day-to-day, minute-to-minute, second-to-second survival was in the hand of a loving, omnipotent God. And this God whom he trusted, he reminds the Corinthians, remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 12, some of you are saying there is no resurrection from the dead. And I, wanted, I just wanted to interject in there, you idiots. He's reminding them that this God whom he trusted, who was able to bring him through all conflict, bring him through all difficulty, comfort him in every situation, was also the God who can raise the dead. This was both a statement of confidence and I think a reminder to a church that had taught wrongly about this. So as, as we're thinking about comfort, and you're forced to think about it because I've said it 807 times this morning, how can we comfort one another? And there's so many aspects of that. Sometimes people are not ready for comfort right away. They're just not. God's dealing in their lives and He's bringing them to a place, bringing them to the end of themselves so that they will recognize and trust in God, not in themselves and not in others. Trust in God who raises the dead. So as we're comforting one another, one another through the difficulties that God brings us through, that God orchestrates in our lives, indeed, let us remember that. That uh, it's our responsibility to use the comfort we've received and bring it to bear on others who need comfort. But it's a, it's a skill in some respects, 
and it's, it takes time, and it's, it's two-way, and it's sometimes as you're trying to bring comfort, you may be rebuffed. That's fine. The person might not be at the place where God has them to receive comfort yet, needs to have them to receive comfort yet. But it will happen. It will come. If they're truly a believer, they will begin to think outside of themselves, to focus outside of themselves. It will happen because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings us into affliction so that the affliction we receive, we have happen to us, and the comfort that he brings in that affliction becomes a comfort that we can give to others. And I know sometimes when you're going through the difficulty, that's not any, I don't want any more affliction so I can comfort others, Lord. Comfort them yourself. Sometimes that's what you might think. But it, once you get out the other end, and, and the Lord works in both the lives or the lives of the group or whoever who are struggling and comforting one another together. It's a wondrous thing and it builds the body of Christ in a way that almost nothing else can through Scripture. Any questions or comments? Those of you who have skill at comforting, start a class, do a podcast. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you this morning that you are the God of all comfort that no matter what we go through here, it is well, well within your ability to comfort and to bring good out of it. As you've said in Romans, that all the things we go through bring glory to you and are orchestrated by you to bring good into our lives, even though it may not seem like it at the time. Lord, help us to be those who focus outward in difficulty and look for ways to comfort others. Help us to be those who receive affliction at your hand as training, instruction, reproof, and correction so that we might be lives that glorify the Son of God, the Holy Spirit, and the Father of lights. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.